been taking a look at this topic of hell, of course, and we're in week number five, believe it or not. Unbelievable. So we're in week five, and last week we were taking a look at the progression of God's revelation. Because I challenged you last week to think like you were a first century Jew, which is very challenging for us because we're 21st century Ohioans. But we have to think like a first century Jew in some ways in order to understand what Jesus is talking about uh, because that's who his audience was and that was the language of the day. And we're going to look quite specifically at that tonight as we look at both of these questions, where is hell, and then the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And we're going to look at them from a first century Jewish point of view. And so we saw that last week that this progression of, of um, the, the, what we would call the theology of hell is nothing more than how God revealed to us over time all the way up to and including what period? Jesus' he, he revealed through Jesus' ministry on earth and there was revelation, God's revelation until what time? Until the until what? Until until the end time, and I'm looking specifically for something, some reference. At what point did God stop providing new revelation? And the book of Revelation, when 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 John the Revelator, when he received that revelation from God, in fact. In Revelation, we are very familiar with the verse that says, hey, don't be adding anything to this and don't be taking anything away from it. There is no new Revelation. I don't care what the Pope says and I don't care what the Mormon Church says. There is no new Revelation. There is Revelation and we make it some tonight. But it won't be new. It will not be new. So, having said that, we see last week that there was this discussion of the separation of sheep and goats. And we discussed that just a little bit. And that was pretty clear, wasn't it? And those separation, that separation that was taking place was analogous to what? What's, what's the analogy? Separating sheep from goats. Saved and unsaved, good and evil, excellent. That's exactly right, because... Uh, only God knows. Amen? And so there is this separation that is taking place. And so we also saw that there was, for the first time, we looked at, at uh, well, I'm, in fact, I'm going to have uh, Scotty read a verse in, in just a second, but we looked at, um, at Daniel 12.2 and we saw that in the continuing progressive revelation of hell, that's our topic, we saw in Daniel 12, 2, that for the first time, God said that hell was punishment. That was the first time that hell was identified, and of course, what was as punishment. And what was the word that would have been used in Daniel 12, 2 for, for hell? Sheol, which is the Hebrew term for the realm of the dead. So we know that this realm of the dead, all of a sudden, progressively, God shows his people that this is progressive and it is now 
of punishment. Of punishment. Now, if you're a first century Jew, you would probably be thinking that if there were if there was punishment involved, that it was for somebody else. Amen? Because what would a first century Jew be thinking in terms of I'm talking about Jews in Jesus' time because we're about to look at what he has to say. And what would they have been thinking about their about their destiny? They were going to rule the world. They were going to be in charge. There was a Messiah coming, and it was a political Messiah, and it was a a Messiah that was going to come and rescue them from Rome. And all the bad guys were going to be punished. Because why? Because they were from Abraham. They were chosen people. Yeah, clearly. And so they had this idea, all the Jews had this idea, and it's important to remember this mindset as we go into what Jesus had to say, because he had to say some pretty powerful things that was continuing progression of this revelation of God in terms of the necessity for a Savior, and if you didn't receive salvation, what then? Probably no one said, now that's a good question, but I think it's a good question. So, as we see last week, we were looking at this progression, and we saw that Jesus used legal terms, and so, as a matter of fact, we there's one really important word, and Scotty's going to read it out of the Geneva Bible, that big old giant Bible that weighs 300 pounds on his lap. And, and he is going to read Matthew 25, 46. Now just listen to this one short verse and I want you to blurt out the most important word in our study tonight that is going to be in this one short verse. Go ahead, Scotty. Okay. It says, And these shall go into everlasting pain and the righteous into life eternal. Everlasting pain. Everlasting. Yeah, it's hard to hear, huh? Yeah. Everlasting, and your version of the Bible probably says eternal. Eternal life. Okay. Eternal life and everlasting what? Pain. Pain. And that's in Matthew. Now, think about this for a second. As a first century Jew, we're talking about a concept because Sheol was a realm of the dead. Oh, well, what happened when you died? If you were a first century Jew and didn't know what you know right now, in fact, if you were a Jew before Jesus' time, and somebody mentioned, as was mentioned 66 times in the Old Testament, the word Sheol, that means realm of the dead, what would you have thought? If you died, what happened? You went to the realm of the dead. You went to the realm of the dead. And then what? Didn't they consider that purgatory back then? No. That was something later. There was some Jewish thought, extra-biblical Jewish thought, about, uh, about Sheol and about what that meant in terms of um, a, a potential afterlife. But, but it's, not, it's not biblical, so let's, let's not go there. So what I'm trying to just get to the point where we have to understand as first century Jews we're thinking about Sheol because that's the word that's used and it's the realm of the dead and so you came from the dust and you went back to the dust. Okay, so let's just leave it there. 
because Scotty read a verse in the New Testament, and we're going to see, after we look at where hell is, what Jesus had to say about that. So Jesus had some pretty strong words we saw last week as he was talking to the Pharisees and he was rebuking them about all kinds of things, wasn't he? Now we're going to see another pretty good rebuke tonight. So, now we have to remember a couple things as we move forward. We have to remember that a good Bible student, of which everybody in this room is because you all did your homework from last week, which was to read all of those Bible verses that we didn't get to, Right? Of course, I have no question in my mind about that. We have to remember that context is everything. Scotty read one verse and it had the word everlasting or eternal. But context is everything. We have to understand that. And interpretation for our purposes means that you can't interpret the whole meaning of the Bible from one verse. Okay? So there's a couple of things to remember for tonight as we look at two interesting topics. Number one, where is hell? And number two, what did Jesus have to say about it to the Pharisees especially? So we're taking our time. Because there's no reason to be in a hurry. Because I've been going to church for 20 years and this is the first time I've ever sat in on anything that had to do with this topic of hell. I've never heard it preached from the pulpit and I've never gone to a Bible study that talked about hell. We're in no hurry to get there. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm trying to catch up for 20 years of inattention. <laughs> so, so we're going to just continue to take it as God brings it, okay? Alright. So, where's hell? In hell. <laughs> hell is below. All these verses are right. going to look up. They down or under. Hell is down or under, below. Okay. Below, beneath the depth of the earth. How deep is the earth? It's measurable, isn't it? Algebra. I failed algebra. So I'm gonna fail. <laughs> but so under the earth, um, in the earth, uh, down. Down in the dust. Down below in the realm of the dead. Down in the ro- down below the realm of the dead. Sheol, the realm of the dead. In the dust. Under the water. Under the water. You did. You did your homework. Under the water. Where God is not. Where God is not. Did the first century Jew think the Sheol and the town is under going to the death with punishment for them? Receive that until the end of the Yeah. The first century Jews in Christ's time had read Daniel. Oh, yeah, they had read Daniel, and then they had read Isaiah, and they had read all of the Old Testament. Any good Jew would have been very, very familiar. So back before Daniel, uh-huh. what were they thinking? What were they thinking? Yeah, well, that's the question I was thinking. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> what were they thinking? Well, okay, so before this... Okay, before this revelation, let's go way back then. Let's go way back before this revelation of God uh, that, that hell is a place of punishment. 
And the first time that we see this discussion of this word Sheol, which means the realm of the dead, what then would a what would an early Jew think? Because they they haven't had any of the revelation yet from God or the prophets. They wouldn't think it was punishment. They think that's just where the dead go. That's it. And which dead? Who dead? Who dead? Everybody dead. So it's about 4,000 miles to the center of the earth. 4,000 miles to the center of the earth. The center of the earth is much hotter than the original center of the earth. Yeah, that's really interesting because um, I read something a couple of weeks ago about a group of Russian scientists that tried to drill down into the core of the earth because they were wanting to hear if there were any sounds from hell. They heard some stuff. They heard some stuff. Yeah. It was probably just the magma. You know, happening. Yeah, they, they heard some stuff. So uh, it was very interesting anyway to read that uh, idea of drilling uh, a hole that, that, that deep. 4,000 miles is a really long way. Yeah, I forget. <laughs> so, in any event, is hell a specific place? Nobody has given me a geographic location of the place yet. There isn't one in the Bible. A definite geographic. There isn't a definite geographic. But somebody said in the center of the earth. Well, it sounds like the center of the earth because there's fire and brimstone and sulfur. Okay, so in all of your homework and your vast study on this topic during the course of the last week, you had seven whole days to study this. Have you determined that, that that's where hell is then? In the center of the earth, 4,000 miles deep? No. I have a, a head shaking? No. 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 Godquestions.org says the Bible doesn't say. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Bible says Interesting. Now let us take a, a survey and let's determine whether Godquestions.org is right or not, shall we? Let's do that. Let's turn to Deuteronomy 32. Because you see, some people would say that hell doesn't even exist. Other people would be very dogmatic about hell being absolutely in the center of the earth. Some people would tell you that their study of the Bible says that it's in a dimension or a, uh, or, or a realm that is... Far, far away. <laughs> it, what, what's the Star Trek thing? In a galaxy far, far... I don't forget how I go. No, that's Star Wars. Oh, Star Wars. Star Wars. <laughs> I know <laughs> So, you can get all kinds of different ideas about where this place is located. And so, there, where do we have to go to get the answer? Does people say... Or does the Bible say that people are in hell right now? Oh, well, let's yeah. do this survey and let's answer that question, shall we? Let's do that. That's a good idea. Deuteronomy 32:22. Somebody like to read that? For a fire will be kindled by my wrath, one that burns down to the realm of the dead below. It will devour the earth and its harvest and set a fire to the foundations of the mountains. 
That's really interesting. What book of the Bible were we just reading out of? Let's see. How does it go? Genesis is the first one, right? Genesis. Exodus. That's one of the Moses books, isn't it? And right there it says that a fire is going to be kindled by what? Anger. by anger. Yeah. By my wrath. Who said that? That's before he put it on Jesus. Okay. Okay. So, here we are. Here we are before Jesus, before extra revelation, and the word here for the realm of the dead below is what might you imagine? Sheol. Sheol. So here we have it. In the beginning of the Bible, we're talking about this word, and remember, they haven't heard anything else. They don't know anything about anything other than this word that means the realm of the dead. And so it is going to be kindled, this fire will be kindled by God's wrath. Sounds like an angry God. Mm. Interesting. But by his wrath, one that burns down to the to Sheol. Hmm. In the in the King James. Yeah, the King James uses hell for the word Sheol in almost every case. I think that's and I think that's unfortunate because we know from our study of the last few weeks that there are several words that are translated hell, don't we? Okay, we gotta go there again. Sheol, Hades, Anna, Lake Fire, Abyss. Okay, and so all of these, of course, are English translations, and so in order to get these words translated so that we could understand them in English, in the King James Version, they decided to use the word hell. And so we said that for our purposes of study, when we say hell, we are going to mean one thing and one thing only. And what is that? Remember what that was a couple weeks ago? What is, what is hell, really? I mean, ultimately, the way to fire. The lake of fire. That is really that is really hell because these other words are descriptive of something that is analogous to, but not specifically the place. Because hell is a place, and we're going to see that. How about First Samuel twenty-eight? We're going to look through this a little bit. In fact, um, what I'd like to do is just read it and have you think about the key words here because we're talking about. Hell as a location. So, I don't know if you remember the story about Saul. Remember Saul? When he booted out all of the spiritists and the mediums and he said, hey, all you palm readers and fortune tellers, you're out of here. Because Saul was a pretty good guy, huh? But then he went to one. Imagine that. So he boots them all out, but then he goes to one. He expels them, and presumably he went to one instead of whom? And he got He's in trouble for that, right? Well, let's see what happens. Because, I mean, you talk about, you know, we heard from the pulpit last week about, uh, you know, how common we all are. You know, yeah, just, just like Saul. Yeah, yeah, we're all just regulars here. And so, and so was he. So anyway, he went, he went to the spiritist, and he wanted answers in regards to really his reign and his death. 
And and look at what happens. So here's that's the setup. Well, the spirit of God had left him. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit was no longer in his life, mm-hmm. so he was losing. He was losing the war, and he was really in bad shape. He was in a bad way. Okay. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah. Clearly. So, and so he was certain answers, and the guy that had been his mentor when he was when God was he was on God's side was Samuel. Mm-hmm. So he wanted to. He wanted some answers from Samuel, so he went to the poem reader. (laughs) Okay? And let's see what happens. Because there's a great application for us. I'd suggest you don't stop at the poem reader on the way home. There's really no reason to. But in any event, remember the context here is, is that we're taking a look at hell as a location. And he says, verse 11, 28 11. Then the woman asked, Who shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel, he asked. Right away. It's clear. It's very clear that there's this hell or this sheol down thing going on. Both of them were very clear about it, weren't they? So, who shall I bring up? Because that's what the spiritist does. They bring up, this is a demonic thing, even today. It hasn't changed. It's a demonic thing. And so they, they uh, somehow clairvoyantly uh, uh, are and satanically are attracted to these kinds of beings, these demons, and they, and they somehow have the ability to, to, to deal with them. And so she says, whom shall I bring up? Bring up Samuel, he said. Verse 12. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Don't be afraid. What do you see? The woman said, I see a ghostly figure figure, coming from where? Up. From where? Out of the ground. Out of the ground. Out of the ground. Versions. Out of the earth, in other translations. Okay, you have ground. What do you have in the King James? Out of heaven. Out of the. I don't think we have. Verse thirteen. Thirteen, and I saw God descending out of the earth. You're in the wrong church. First Samuel. First Samuel. Twenty-eight. Thirteen. Thirteen. Ascending out of the earth. Okay. Okay, now I want you to think about this for a second. Okay, so he's coming up. Bring up Samuel. I see a ghostly figure coming up out of the ground. My translation says earth. Remember that? So does yours? Huh. Earth. Huh. Brown. We have grounds and we have earth. Now, I'm I'm just I'm just trying to paint a picture here, guys, because what happens is we're Bible students, right? And we have various translations, and we even have to be careful with these various translations, because my translation says coming up out of the earth, and if I'm going to interpret where he's coming up from, I'm going to interpret it as coming up out of the earth. And I might even consider that he was in the center of the earth. Maybe. Depending on what I 
heard before or learned or been taught or even read extra biblically. Could it be possible they always stay out of the ground because they bury people and they understand death and they all bury people? So Where? What would they have been thinking about this about this term Sheol? The holding place. The dust. They're buried. You, you'd be done dead. Right. In the dirt. Right. That's where we're going back to. Because so the container is just, this is a temporary thing. We're just, it's, you know, we were made out of the dirt and we were given the breath of life and we're going back to it barring the rapture that could happen any moment. That's what's going to happen. The point is, that's what they were thinking. But that's not what your Bible says. Okay? The original language says that I see a ghostly figure a figure coming up out of Sheol. The dead. The realm of the dead. So we have to be very careful, don't we? Otherwise we can get all fixated on what these words mean. Is it earth? Is it dust? Is it ground? Or is it Sheol? Pardon me? Those all mean the same thing. Okay. Well, let's read on what does he look like? He asked. An old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. Then Saul knew it was Samuel, and he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Then, verse 15, Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Samuel's in hell too? He's got clothes on. He's got clothes on. <laughs> and he's comfortable. He's been disturbed. He says, I am in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me, and God has departed from me. He no longer answers me, either by prophets or by dreams. So I have called on you to tell me what to do. Now, I don't want to get all caught up in the story, because there's a whole other study just in, that, in, in this story. But the point is, is that here we have a couple of characters, don't we? We have a, we have a, um, a medium... Or a spiritist, or a palm reader, you fill in the blank. But you know those like. A charlatan. And we have Samuel, and we have Saul. And there is a discussion that needs to take place. And so this spiritist is saying that this is what I see and where he is coming from. Which is, Bible students, he's coming up from Sheol, the realm of the dead. That's it. We got to get the word right. So I emphasize that because it becomes very important as we look a little bit farther. Sheol is saying hell. The realm of the dead, where everybody went. If, if you were a follower of God and I wasn't, and we both died today, if we were at this time, we went to Sheol. That's right. So it's, not, it's not specifically trying to say it's hell. That's correct. The realm of the dead. At this point, because there has not been further revelation from God. See, we're very, very jaded because, you see, we've read the rest of the book. But we've got to remember that they haven't. And so to study this properly, we have to understand the genre. We have to understand the language. We have to understand who the who the participants were because we want to put our spin on it all the way, don't we? Because we already know the rest of the story. But they didn't. So it's important to build because that's what God has always done. God has built His revelation to us 
culminating with the Savior. So you're trying to trying to say if you mean grave to grave. That's good enough. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly right. That's the best. Right. Perfect. <laughs> Number sixteen thirty-two. Remember, we're focusing on the location of hell here. Number 1632. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them with their households and all the chorus men and all their possessions. Well, we remember the story out in the desert. What was happening here is that there was some there was some shenanigans going on, and so God opened up the earth. And the earth swallowed them. And of course, Scripture doesn't elaborate on this very much. But what happens next? Do you remember what happens right after that? I don't expect it to. But if you go another couple of verses, it says that God rained fire down. And there were 250 that were killed. Okay. (coughs) Talking about hell. And we're talking about where people get the idea of where hell is located, Betty. Right? We're trying to figure out where this place is. Because we've already determined from our previous study that it is a real place. Honest to goodness. And so we're trying to determine, if we can, from Scripture, how people get get to the point where they can be quite dogmatic about its location. And we're seeing here that, that, that the grave is being mentioned... And we're up to numbers now. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed. How did that happen, by the way? Only by God's power. By God's power. Mm -hmm. You think that was a literal event that took place? Yes. Could have been an earthquake. Almost sounds like it. Doesn't it, though? Could God use an earthquake? Yeah, of course he could. Because the next verse kind of explains that. And what does that next verse say? They went down alive into the grave with everything they owned, and the earth closed over them, and they perished and were gone from the community. Well, that's an interesting choice of words there. They went down to what? The grave. <coughs> the realm of the dead. Isn't that interesting? They were. They just died. That's all. Okay. We don't have to focus on why. No it's cause. Just that they, no. They were buried alive. They were buried alive. The earth swallowed them up. This is a supernatural event, and the earth closed up over them. And so then we go to Job 26.5. Not what it says on your outline. Right? Right. So if anybody this week was looking for Job 16.32... And you didn't find it, you didn't do your homework. (laughs) Job 26.5. Go ahead, if you're there, just read. The dead are in deep anguish, those beneath the waters and all that live in them. And Psalm 63.9 Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. Job says beneath and Psalm says the depths. The depths of the earth. How deep is that? Mine says that because he is 
A mathematical genius. What was that movie? The, the, the kid that was really mathematically a genius. Uh, Good Will Hunting. Yeah. yeah. My, my wife really loved that movie because uh, the kid could look at this thing on the board and understand these vast formulas and, and whatnot. And I can't do anything about a calculator. And even simple addition. But um, nonetheless, nonetheless, we have beneath the waters, depths of the earth, the earth opened its mouth, the realm of the dead below, I bring up for you. There's a pretty distinct picture that's being drawn here about a location, isn't there? Down. 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 Without a doubt. And so what we see is, of course, all of these all of these words are either metaphorically or actually the word Sheol, which is the realm of the dead. That's all. All of that to make the point that all of these places that are translated into the place. The depth of the earth is a is a place, isn't it? Earth? Yeah. Well, I'm sensing a common theme here. And that is <laughs> Sheol, the depth of the earth. The depth of the earth. In the earth, buried, grave, down, down. The lower parts of the earth. Nobody was ever buried up. You know, because with all the technology and everything we have and will have, they say that they'll never have anything that could really reach the center of the earth. But they estimate the center of the earth is about 10,700 degrees Fahrenheit. Hmm. So, kind of gives you an idea of what it's like down there. You know, and that's fascinating for us. We know that. And it's inconceivable for us to think about the center of the earth because of what you just said. It's inconceivable because that's just, that's just everything is melting. There's nothing that we know of that could exist in that heat, right? I think it's supposed to be 120,000. That's my calculation. That's your calculation based on your mathematical formalization yeah. that you Even though know. I can't get there, that's how I <laughs> Well, the, the idea, and of course the context here is critical because what we're talking about is we're talking about the word Sheol and we're talking about the grave and we're talking about, when we're talking about depths, that could simply be six feet as we recognize it today. Isn't that what we do? Okay. I, I know people that are in heaven right now whose, whose old bodies are six feet underground in a wooden box. Mm-hmm. And some of them have been six feet underground in a wooden box for so long there's nothing left including a wooden box. It just went back to the dust. That's what it does. Because that's what the Bible says is going to happen. Because that's where it came from. Isn't that amazing? It's hard to understand but your body came from the dust. That's how God created it. Nobody has the answer to that. We can't figure that out. I thought the next one contradicts you, but it doesn't. The next one in Ecclesiastes? Okay, I would like to read the Ecclesiastes verse in two different, in the NIV and the New King James. Okay? Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead, where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. That's in the NIV, which is a thought-for-thought translation. Listen to the New King James, Ecclesiastes 9.10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work, or device, or knowledge, or wisdom in the grave, 
where you are going. So I momentarily thought back on my fellows in heaven we're going to have jobs. And I thought, well, this says there's nothing to do. And I said, well, we're talking about a different place. We're talking about a different place. We are talking about a different place. See, this is the only place that in Ecclesiastes where this word is even used. And in the New King James, it says the grave. I love that. So here we go. For 35 minutes, we've been talking about this word Sheol, and we've been talking about the Old Testament using it 66 times, and then we're talking about about that word in in the Greek is what? The word for Sheol in the Greek is what? Hades. Hades. It's the same word, so when we see Hades, what is Hades? What is Hades? The grave. Huh? The The realm of the dead, the grave, where where people go, but... There's a difference because the Hades word came when? Yeah. Okay. And now all of a sudden we're going to start taking a look at what Jesus has to say because now it starts to take on a little different meaning. A little different meaning. That's because after Jesus it becomes a place of punishment. Not after Jesus, because that first idea of hell being a, of there being a place of punishment, of going to a place of punishment, is just revealed where in Daniel, and that we see that Isaiah takes it to a whole other level. Because what do we know about Isaiah? Isaiah is an awesome book. He spent some time. You could spend a long time in Isaiah because Isaiah talks a lot about Jesus, the Messiah. Isaiah talks a lot. He, he prophesies a lot of what we see happening in the New Testament, right? And so he expands upon this idea of this place being one of punishment. Okay. See, and so when we get to the first century Jew, they should have known. But we're going to get to that in just a second. So, if we take a look at the New Testament references to hell, because we've been looking at all these words in the Old Testament that are Sheol, and we're trying to figure out where it is, and we can't. It's down. Right? Sheol is down. It's always referenced as down. And the New Testament words are always referenced. Down. Down. So, we look at Luke 10, 15. And you, Capernaum, will, be, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. Hades. You will go down to the depths. Hades is the use is the word that is used there in Luke ten fifteen. So, and these are some of the center of the earth scriptures, by the way. People that are center of the earthers. I don't know what you call them, but people that believe that Hades is physically in the if they are center of the earthers. And so there's one because no, you will go down to Hades. But there's no difference there than there was in any of the passages that we looked at earlier in the Old Testament that just used the word Sheol. Down to the realm of the dead. Okay? And then how about Jesus himself? Ephesians 4 9. Anybody there? Yeah. Read it. What does he descended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? There it is then, Dwayne. Yeah, earth is hell. He descended to the lower earthly regions. 4,000 feet deep, right? Miles. Miles. I mean miles, not feet. Yeah, miles. <laughs> miles. Says so right there, doesn't it? He also descended to the lower earthly regions. 
Well, they might have. Well, they might have. Then the key here is, is that Ephesians 4 9 says, What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? Slam dunk. Hell's in the center of the earth. Right? Now, when I read that, it's sounding like he's coming from heaven and he's lowering himself to the earth. Not going below the earth. Very the astute earth. theologian, my man. It says nothing of the such that he didn't descend into the center of the earth. If, he said, if, if God wanted us to know that he was descending into the center of the earth, he would have said, and he descended into the center of the earth. But it doesn't say that, does it? What does it say? Earthly regions. The lower earthly regions. Context is everything. Okay? He descended to the same place where we have our feet. Okay, Mike has notes here on this one. Oh, I can't hear your notes. Well, the unseen world, sometimes specifically a place of torment, mm-hmm. and sometimes merely the grave. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Depending on how it's used in the New Testament times, but not the old. Okay, there's a distinction. She old to Hades. We're going to see that in a second. The point is that context is critical. How about Acts 2, 31 and 32? Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. There you go. Peter's talking here, and he says, hey, not only did, did Peter speak of this resurrection, and that he wasn't abandoned to the realm of the dead, Jesus wasn't abandoned to the realm of the dead. This is Acts 21. When did that take place? After Jesus' death. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so here we are. Sometime after Jesus, what? Ascended to the right hand of the Father. Here's Peter saying he wasn't abandoned to the realm of the dead. Hades? The grave. The grave? No, his body never saw decay. The word is Hades. The realm of the dead. In the Greek. So you're napping for three days before that happens? Or mm-hmm. what? Ah, well, we see that in a minute, too. The next one makes it a little tough. Okay, the next one might make it a little bit tough. Go ahead and read that one if you would. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the, hu- of the huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Oh, boy, okay. Anybody have a translation that says something other than heart of the earth in Matthew 12, 40? Scotty's got this Geneva Bible that came over. Didn't that come over on the, one of the ships, the Navy mm-hmm. or something? Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> uh, Matthew twelve forty. The Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Anybody have a translation? Say something different than that. In the heart of the earth. NIV has heart of the earth. Yes. New King James. Heart of the earth. Well, right here, he was in the stomach of the fish for days and nights. This is the sun mountain. Deep in the earth. Deep in the earth. Heart of the earth. Yeah. So now it's really clear. So, did Jesus? What does that mean? What does this passage in Matthew 12 40 mean? We're, st- we're trying to study the location of hell for the moment. 
Okay. How do you know that? Well, the heart of the earth is the tomb that he was in. Oh. Because he was just in a tomb, and he he's the heart of the whole universe. So, so they did great. <clears throat> Have you ever noticed that when you're reading the Bible, sometimes there are just figures of speech? It's kind of like driving to L.A. and you're on the 405-101 interchange. And it is just like stopped, and you're on your cell phone, and you're talking to somebody, and you're saying, "Man, it's like a parking lot out here." Can't do that when you're driving. Yeah. Well, I mean, free. Uh, that's just for reference only. Uh, so you say it's a parking lot. So is the 405 relay a parking lot? No, it's a figure of speech that everybody knows what you're talking about. It's a parking lot out here. You know that he's either completely stopped or not going very fast. Because there's a lot of cars, right? And so here we have, in the heart of the earth, a reference made to the tomb that Jesus was buried in that was quite secure, by the way, with a big stone rolled in front of it and being guarded and having a... It was, it, it was sealed and, and so... And there it was, in the heart of the earth, a figure of speech. And yet you can take that figure of speech if you're so inclined... I would submit to you it's wrong. But you could take that and say, that does it for me. There he was. Jesus went to hell. Have you ever heard some of the some of the preachers, especially the TV? Absolutely. Yeah, talking about Jesus going to hell. And why he went to hell? I've heard TV preachers say that Jesus went to hell because he had to be born again. What? Yeah. I mean, it's just craziness. Yeah. Absolute craziness. He went to paradise. Yeah. So, but anyway, we're not we're not here to talk about that tonight. That's a whole other issue. But anyway, he he didn't go to hell here in Matthew twelve forty. What he did was he was buried in the tomb in the heart of the earth. Something that the 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 audience here would have been it, there wasn't there wouldn't even be a question. So, so there's an easy easy read version that says that he'll be in the grave for three days. Ah, there you go. And you know why the easy to read version says the grave? Because that's where he was. Yeah, he was in the tomb. Just like everybody else that died, especially if you were a wealthy person, then you know you had this you had this tomb. That's what you did. That's I what talked you about did. in some instances where they were in caves. Yes, caves. Exactly right. Exactly right. So the interesting thing is is that Matthew in 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 this account here in four forty, you know notice what he doesn't say. He didn't say that, that uh, he spent three days in the abyss or Gehenna or the lake of fire or he didn't use any of those other terms that we've already discovered or already used in biblical language. He didn't say any of that. He just said, in the heart of the earth, in, in the grave. That's where he was. Because he was dead. He was, he was dead. His body was dead. Absolutely. You can also say that uh, we were created from the heart of the earth. Well, so <laughs> well, were we created from the heart of the earth? Well, from the ground. From the dust. From the dust. <laughs> to, to get to the point where we were created from the heart of the earth, from what the Bible says is the dust, is a really, really big stretch, oh, isn't it? Or, I, know, I know you're not making that point. But, so what we have to do is we have to interpret the Bible for what it says, 
and not what we want it to mean. Now, if you're a center of the earth here, that's right how it is. And I'm telling you, you can go to lots of different places and read people's accounts. And uh, I can tell you where to go to read books of people that said they've been to hell. Which is hogwash, of course, because nobody's been to hell and back. Yeah. It's just like nobody's been to heaven and back. There's no biblical precedence for that whatsoever. Nobody's died, gone to heaven, and then been resurrected to come back and write a book about it. Heaven or hell. It hasn't happened. But it makes for great movies and books, I'm sure. None of these passages say that hell is in the center of the earth. None of these passages say that hell is on earth. None of these passages say that hell, because what is the word hell? What, where is hell? No, where is hell? For purposes of our of our Bible study, the, the lake of fire. That is hell. That is hell. Okay, because what we're talking about here is we're talking about a first century Jew that that was that was understanding this progression. Sheol, the realm of the dead. Hades, the realm of the dead. Now all of a sudden we have Jesus talking about things like Gehenna, which was the valley of Hinnom, which was right next to Jerusalem, which is where they burned babies sacrificially. And now the imagery that we're about to see is going to always be about down and fire, down and fire and torment and fire and heat and, and it's a it's an oppressive it's an oppressive place. But what we don't have is we don't have any indication, then, of where hell is. Does that matter? Don't wanna know. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to find it on the map. Yeah. How is it then that we get these ideas about where hell is located if we've just done a survey, not the whole amount of complete survey, but a survey of Old and New Testament um, biblical references to hell, where we always see the reference of down, and we're trying to find some geographic location or some or some cosmic <laughs> location for it. Um, uh, how is it that people get to the place where they can be dogmatic about where it is? How can that happen? Old wives' tales. Wives' tales? Well, taking things literally as well. If you take the reference of down as literal. Okay. Well, let's not take the reference of fire. And so we know that there's fire down in the center. Earth down, heat, fire, 4,000 miles? What's the Ten thousand seven hundred. Ten thousand seven hundred. I mean, to our human way of thinking, guys, isn't it just, it just almost it kind of makes some sense, doesn't it? Well, when you think of but that's not what it says. <clears throat> so the point is, we have to be very careful when we're looking at metaphors. We have to be very careful when we are looking at these translations, the terms that are used. We have to be very careful that we don't take out of context one biblical reference that says part of the earth and build a theology around that when we haven't looked at the whole of Scripture and what it teaches. And so the point is that we don't know. Could we just know that it is. Couldn't it, uh, uh, could we look at it as they're using these words and, and, and descriptions of hell and being down and everything is, is for Jesus to bring people to him? You know, because 
That's if, if they never ever mentioned hell or anything, uh, what would people worry about doing whatever they wanted to do? Well, let me let me answer that rhetorically and say, then why is the biblical reference for heaven always up? Yeah, well, so heaven is always up, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, heaven is all around us, but up. So mm-hmm. if hell is below, then hell's got to be below heaven. But if it's not center earth, then hell's got to be around below heaven, around us, possibly. Mm-hmm. They, refer to, they refer to, mm-hmm. in the Old Testament, they're referring to the, the three heavens. What, mm-hmm. what we know here, mm-hmm. the stars and all that, and then heaven and heaven. Right. So, yeah, it's a hard one. Yeah, and so, no, it's, it's interesting to think about, and God didn't make it absolutely crystal clear, did he? Nope. He could have, but he didn't. Mm-hmm. And that we do know that ultimately when we're talking about hell, hell is the lake of fire. Ultimately, and Scott read in, in uh, the New Geneva Bible there, that this place called hell is going to be eternal. We saw that. We, we're going to see that more in just a second here. And we also know that God is going to, there's, there is not, there, there's a present heaven, there's a future heaven. That's right. Okay, because God is going to create the new heaven and the new earth, and, the, and so, and heaven and earth are going to come together, and God is going to come live with us, and it's going to look strikingly like it looks right outside the window here. That's what the Bible says. But what the Bible doesn't say is, where is God going to put that within the cosmos? I don't have the slightest idea, because I don't have the slightest idea how big the cosmos is, other than I don't think it has an end. Because the Hubble telescope only sees so far, and that's as far out as we can see. But the Bible is pretty clear that, that, the, the, that the universe, God's creation, is like the pit. It's probably limitless. I don't know that. But there is certainly some indication that that could be the case. And if hell is below heaven, I think we have to leave that up to God because he's got more But we just don't know. So when you see somebody or read somebody or listen to somebody that says that they've got that absolutely dialed in based on anything that you that comes from this book right here, the first thing I would do is have a big question. But they're out there all over us. And so are those people that say that hell doesn't exist. But let's see what Jesus has to say about that. And let's take a look at this parable in Luke 16, 19-31. Because Jesus was speaking specifically to an audience about this place that we're studying. There's a lot of clarity just in this passage. There's a ton of clarity, and that's why a lot of commentators use this passage. We're going to look at some more uh, next week, but, but this week we're going to finish up by taking a look at this, at this parable. And so who is Jesus talking to in this parable? Anybody remember? We're going to read it and then come back and kind of... I think the Pharisees. The Pharisees. That's who he's talking to. And so, and so he's talking to them in, in, a, in, in parabolic form, in a parable. And so, uh, what do we know about these, about these Pharisees that Jesus is talking to, generally speaking? What do we know about the Pharisees? They thought they knew it all. They had it all together, didn't they? <laughs> or so they thought they did. 
Alright. And so, um, now, we also know that Jesus knew their hearts. But they didn't know that Jesus knew their hearts. Well, we have to think about that. And here's the context here. So Jesus is going to tell this story. And, uh, and their idea of being godly was pursuing wealth at virtually any cost. Any cost. Because it was all about wealth for them. Not much has changed in some quarters of Christianity today. Or what, what looks like it might be Christianity. I question that sometimes. But... Um, so we can learn a lot from this from this subject matter. So let's let's take a let's take a look at it. By the way, uh, to be fair, some people don't believe that this scripture is actually a parable, and the reason that they don't believe it's a parable because it's the only story that Jesus tells of all of his parables where a person is named. There is no specificity to a person in any other parable that Jesus that Jesus tells in his earthly ministry, which is really kind of interesting. So you but, don't want us to buy you a gold stream? No. <laughs> no, I would love to have you buy me a gold stream. But first you'd have to send me enough money to teach me how to fly it. Well, I thought you were doing that. No, I'm not going to do that. But, um, we see that, in, and you don't have to turn there, in Revelation 20:14 it says, The death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, and the lake of, of fire is the second death. And what we're looking at here is a message... Um, that Jesus is going to speak to to these to these Pharisees uh, that is going to shed quite a bit of light on this continuing progressive revelation. So let's take a look at it. We're going to read the whole thing and then come back and see what you can what you can uh, glean from it. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat. Uh, what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away, with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things now, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, I, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Wow. <laughs> we get that, don't we? But here's the Pharisees, and they're sitting there, and they're talking about this rich man, and what were they? What were the Pharisees? Rich! Man, they were scamming the church big time. 
But weren't they also talking about the Jews? Well, yes, but the audience specifically were the Pharisees, but oh, there's a lot of very direct application, I would suggest, even to everybody sitting in this room. That's what I, I love about Scripture. The application is very clear to us most of the time. So we see in the first couple of verses here, 19 and, and 20, that there's a, there's a couple of characters. Who are they? Rich man, Lazarus. Rich man, Lazarus. Abraham. And what's the significance of the purple linen that he talked about? <laughs> Absolutely. Royalty. And, and, you know, what do we remember in that very last portion of that scripture passage that I just read? You know, we, we talked about even if somebody raises from the dead, they're not going to believe them. And so, and what's the picture about the purple linen you get even from that? Well, Jesus was raised from the dead and Everybody knows that now because they didn't know it then. And what about the purple linen? Well, he was royalty. Jesus was Jesus royalty. Yeah. And and what did the what did the guards do with Jesus? They mocked him and they put they put a purple robe on him. And then they stole it. Huh? Yeah, pretty amazing. So then we see we see Lazarus and what is his condition? He's in trouble. He's in trouble. Sore, sick. Did he say dead? Dying. No, well, he did. <laughs> but not yet. <laughs> oh, okay, you talked before. He was hungry. But he's in paradise. He's sick. We're not there yet. Okay. <laughs> verse, 19, <laughs> verse 19 and 20. Which one is it? Okay. No, we're, we're looking at... No, we are uh, at uh, Luke 19. Luke 16. 19 through 31. He's a sick, and he's hungry, and he was longing for something to eat. And what was happening? The dogs were looking at his sword, and he wasn't getting anything. Yeah, he, was he was probably homeless, and yeah, he wasn't getting anything. Which implies that if he was longing to eat whatever fell, it wasn't falling. Yeah, there was nothing that was even... That, remember in the Old Testament, they used to leave part of the fields, and so the people would glean around the edges because they were, they were starving to death. And so the farmers would leave something, they wouldn't pick, you know. And so here's Lazarus in the lap of luxury... Dude, he's got the Lamborghini in the garage. He's comfortable. His health insurance is paid up. And he's not even dropping a scrap for this guy. Pharisee? Pharisee? Okay. He was down with the dogs. He said they would throw the crumbs off the table for the dogs. Which was abhorrent in the day. Yeah. Some commentators said that the rich man may have been responsible for Lazarus. Maybe the rich man had done something to Lazarus to take his, you know, Could, there he's at, he's at, he was at the gate begging, begging the rich man to restore whatever he. We, away from him or it's possible we don't know we just know he was laid there we don't even know by whom yeah. but it appears as though it was pretty consistent that he was laid there so Lazarus may have had some responsibility to him he had responsibility in any event because who was La- I mean who was the rich man he was rich and what, what's his background he was a Jew he was a Jew 
Yeah. Well, and he's basically ignoring Lazarus, where even the dogs are feeling bad about it and looking his source. No consideration from the rich man whatsoever. Verse 22, Then the time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And he didn't say anything about angels there. Huh. No. Okay, first observation. First observation. What happened when Lazarus died? He was never buried. The angels came and they carried him away. Does that mean that angels are going to come and carry us away when we die? Well, not necessarily, but possibly. But specifically, we know that the God's angels came and they carried this poor guy away. So where? And where was Abraham? Okay, so we know where he is. We know that pretty clearly, right? Because we're Bible students. The rich man also died and got buried. He wasn't carried away. Nothing. Buried. What's the word? Or Hades, because this would have been written in the Greek. Same thing. Same thing. Here, the Geneva Bible says in hell? Oh, okay. Well, verse 23. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus by his side. Now, wait a minute. We've got progressive revelation. Okay? Because if I'm a first century Jew, and I'm not a very good one, you know, I kind of cheat, I don't read my Torah, I'm not too hip on, you know, the Pentateuch, and all those kinds of things, I'm not sure exactly what's going on here, but all of a sudden, I, I'm sitting here as a Pharisee, well, if I'm a Pharisee, I would have known, but if I'm just a, if I'm not a very good Jew and I'm overhearing this, I'm hearing in Hades where he was in torment, huh? <laughs> I thought Hades was just a place of the realm of the dead. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. All of a sudden, Hades now is this place in the Greek where there is punishment. Daniel 12.2. There is punishment. And there is torment. Isaiah. Throughout the prophetic book of Isaiah. All of a sudden, then these Pharisees, who know this, by the way, are saying, Hades, torment, and he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his, by his side. Okay? It also mentions that where he was, he was in a flame. Hmm. Well, he was certainly in torment, and we know that there is a reference because we see Gehenna, where Jesus uses 12 times in the New Testament, where that is a direct route. Um, we saw this last week, didn't we? That's a direct. Um, um, uh, uh, analogy to that valley of Hinnom where they where it was a sacrificial valley, not that God was dumb, but a sacrificial valley where they did burn animals and they burned children. Okay? And it was a horrific place. And we see this contrast, you don't have to turn there, but Luke thirteen twenty eight says this There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. So just a little bit farther in Luke, we're seeing this contrast because if I'm a Pharisee and I'm listening to this, I'm thinking that I'm not going to Hades. Dude, I'm going there with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to paradise by golly because I am 
I am in the line of Abraham. He's 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 the he's the father, not Father God, but the father of Jews, right? That's where I'm headed. That's what the that's what his audience was thinking. But oh no, that's not what Jesus has to say because this is really in stark contrast to what the Pharisees were thinking. They were thinking that they were going to be this guy that Jesus is talking about, the beggars. So is this in, this is like where the place where the word became saying the chill changes, right? Mm-hmm. Because now That's we're starting right. to see the introduction okay. of the reality of what's going to happen next in this progressive revelation where Hades now starts to become this physical place, not just the realm of the dead. And we start to see the pit, and we start to see the abyss, and then we ultimately see in Revelation, what? The lake of fire. And so that's ultimately this progression, but it's building. We already know that. But to these people, it's just building. Because we're having to see what Jesus says, because he talked more about hell than he did about heaven. Because we say Bill in the Old Testament that people didn't there wasn't any talk about a hell it was mainly the realm of death initially there was no punishment there were, I mean, not until the concept of punishment not until, right, until right. Daniel and then of course we see that Isaiah had a lot to say about, right. about more on, on uh, ultimate destiny and the need for a savior and sin and all of those kinds of things that, that, you know there's a week in our men's Bible study on Thursday morning, we just did uh, uh, 66 books of, of, of Isaiah. Um, and it's uh, fascinating. Very difficult, some, some of it to understand. Uh, and yet fascinating, because we see that Isaiah was so gifted uh, prophetically in terms of talking about these very things that Jesus is talking about right now. So verse 24, he said, He called up to him, Father Abraham, that pity on me and sent Lazarus to dip his finger, the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, which denotes what? It's hot. Is this literal? Mm-hmm. 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 He says because I am in agony in this fire. Yeah, he said he's in torment up here in verse 23. It says he's in Hades and he's in torment. Jesus is going to be speaking a lot about fire and about heat and about torment and about punishment. This is the loving Jesus, the one that is our Savior, the one that we worship. Okay. And he says, Father, can you just come? <laughs> hot down here. It's really hot down here. But what does he really ask for? Besides what? Tell my brothers. This before that, verse 24. To go over with him. And what is he really asking for? He says, Father Abraham, have mercy. Have pity, have mercy, son. He wanted pity and mercy before he wanted water. He knew, didn't he? He knew. He was in Hades. And he knew. This is the rich man that thought that, hey, I got it made. I'm just like a Pharisee. I'm going to be at Abraham's side. And then all of a sudden he died and he wasn't there. And he knew immediately the contrast, the difference. He saw Lazarus and Abraham and he weren't there. (laughs) This is a big problem. But he knew. And that's the point. And he was seeking pity and mercy, looking for a second chance. Oh, just give me a second chance. Then, what does he say? Abraham says, son, remember that in your lifetime you received all that good stuff? Y'all was rich. 
Remember how God blessed you? Remember all that? I mean, this is us, guys. I'm just saying I don't think I'd like I know, this is, this is us. Because compared to the rest of the world, this is us. We don't think about it that way. But, I mean, the poorest people in this town are way richer than, than, than 80% of the world's population. Oh, I'm talking about just in material wealth. And he says, hey, man, remember you were comforted? But now, he's comforted, and you are what? But Abraham calls him what? Son. You see the compassion? That's what I want us to get. I want us to get, I don't want us to say, ah, I deserve it, jerk. <laughs> no. No, we've missed, we've missed the heart of God completely if we go there. Abraham's responsible son, he calls him. He, see, he was a Jew, and Abraham is showing him this compassion. The same compassion that God has for us. And yet, where is he? He's in Hades, and he's not coming back. That's heavy. That's heavy. So, verse 26, And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great chasm that's been set in place. We can't go back and forth. There's no back and forth. You're there. You blew it. I don't have the authority to get you back. That's not God's will. It's not His plan. Don't you see? Didn't you see when God had blessed you with all of this? And all you really had to do was just give up. No. Just give them scraps. What you should have done is give them the whole New York State medium rare. But you didn't even do that, you know, not even the scraps. Well, the connotation, and I think you hit this uh, prior, not tonight, is that we're going to be able to see them, and they're going to be able to see us. If you take this parable to its literal conclusion, there is a sense that there is recognition. I mean, Jesus is telling this story. We've got to remember who he's telling it to. The Pharisees, who he was sitting with. There was always a crowd around. I know that there were some other Jews there. Probably some Gentiles. And us. And us. We can't forget that. And he's saying, yeah, here's the story. I talk in parables. This is a parable but I actually have this guy named Lazarus, which probably wasn't the Lazarus that he raised from the dead, by the way, because that was a very common name during the time. But the point is, is that this Lazarus is, is where he is, and the rich man, whose name we don't know, is where he is, and you're not going to go back and forth. There is no second chance. And yes, the rich man knew immediately. Does that, does that bring the term agony back into our minds. He knew. He looked up and saw Abraham far away. And we are talking about that Abraham. We are talking about that Abraham. <laughs> far away. Now, I don't know if far away is distance or if far away is spiritual. Meaning, the spiritual chasm between the two, my guess is, it's probably both. But the chasm between the two is not joinable. It's too far it's too far. No second chance. 
I mean, this is a horrific thing that this guy is going through right now because he gets it. He gets it. Verse 27, he answered them, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. Now he wants mercy on his family. Send him to my family for I call these brothers. Man, I don't want him to be here. It's almost like he's a hero in his own mind. Maybe I can prevent them from coming here. All they got to do is just listen. And so what does he say? Warn them so they won't also come to this place of torment. So what's he doing? There's an acknowledgement that's going on here. He's acknowledging that there's no way for him to go back, so he's asking for somebody else to do it. Talk about purgatory being blown out of the water. He's also talking no about All of a sudden, the rich man wants to become an evangelist. Really? He has compassion for his brothers. He has compassion for his brothers. You see, he's in Hades. He hasn't lost a sense. We did this study on heaven, and when we get to heaven, we're not going to lose our identity. God made us who we are. I'm pretty confident we're not going to look like we look right now. I'm going to praise God for that. <laughs> but I'm telling you that he didn't lose his identity. He had this man, although he wasn't compassionate when Lazarus was right there and he could have done something, he's in Hades, and all of a sudden he feels, not only does he acknowledge, but he feels compassion for his brothers. Oh my gosh, we got to keep him out of here. For the first time, the rich man showed concern for others. And there's the gospel that we got. We got to tell people about Jesus because if we don't, and and how many have we? And they just blow us off. They just blow us off. And Jesus said, "Hey." Narrow is the road. And people not only is narrow the road, but you know what? My people are going to hate you because of you. So Jesus said. Oh, yeah, the, the more I become a zealot for Christ, the, the more I have to hang out in this kind of a circle because people are like, ooh, hang with that guy, weirdo. You know what I mean? Have you had that experience? I have. It's sure. like, yeah, they don't. They think you're yeah, a nut job. Makes them nervous. You need that. They don't need that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm weak. Yeah, yeah. So Abraham, he says, have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. But what Abraham is saying there is Moses and the prophets. By the way, weren't they dead? Moses and the prophets were dead. How were they going to have Moses? How? Abraham replied. They have Moses and the prophets. How do they have Moses and the prophets? Well, you know, you go into the book. Excuse me? Ah! Way of designating the whole Old Testament. The rich man had failed to pay attention to the scripture and its teaching, and he feared that his brothers would do the same. I wrote in my notes in the current vernacular of the day, Abraham said, Dude, read your Bible. It's right there. Read my word, God says. Isaiah 55, 11. You're not a turn there. So is my word that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And then in Ephesians 6, 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. It has never changed. Take the word of God. If you're a first century Jew, you have it. 
with your 21st century non-Jew, you have it. Everybody has it. He says, no, Father, he said, but if somebody from the dead just goes to them, they will repent. What do we know about that? No. No. That's right. If they don't listen to them, they're not going to be convinced if someone raises from the dead. Here is Jesus himself telling the story very prophetically because what does Jesus know as he's sitting in front of these guys? It's him that is going to be the ultimate sacrifice and come back from the dead. And people still don't believe it. And they don't. And they didn't. And they don't. And that's where our heart should break. Because what do we learn from this story? What are your bullet points? This. You can't, once you're there, you're, it's too late. There's no second chance. You have a second chance here. Yeah, you, you have as many chances as you have breath. And we're not prom- promised breath tomorrow. Our heart should be very sad that anyone goes to hell. Our heart, we have to check our own heart. How many times do you tell a homeless person you don't have any change and you've got a handful in your pocket? We have responsibility to the poor. Jesus says that elsewhere, doesn't he? Widows, orphans, poor. Widows, orphans, poor. Widows, orphans, poor. What was this guy confronted with? Poor. What did he do? Absolutely nothing. He was comfortable in his own faith, wasn't he? He thought, no, I'm going. I'm going with Abraham. And how many times do you need it? Just for no, I, I, I hear a lot of people say, well, I'm not going to give any more money because I'm just going to go by here. Not yet. Here's the parable. See, one of the things that makes this parable kind of challenging is that we see this rich man, and here he is in this place that Jesus calls Hades okay, in the Greek. And so what we see is we see him there, but the Revelation 20 judgment hasn't happened yet, has it? Because this isn't the final place. Ah, because it isn't the final place. So, what happens if you're not a believer and you die today? That's where you're going. Those are the words for it. Okay, because they progress. Okay, progressive revelation. And you're 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 going there to await final judgment, the great white throne judgment. That if your name isn't written in the book of life, you are going to be thrown into the lake of fire. Now, not everybody believes that. We're going to look at that next week. Actually, how some people believe that you're just going to go and you're going to be annihilated. Some people believe that that there is soul sleep. For example, that when you die, you cease to exist. Your soul somewhere just floats around in, in the atmosphere someplace, and then ultimately you are going to be judged and then annihilated. And so, and we're going to look at some scriptures. 
But when these people get that that support, you'd be surprised how popular this is within the Christian today. But nonetheless, what we see here is that we see that this is a place of torment upon death for all who reject Jesus. And we see that if you die without Jesus, now we know one thing right now, don't we? We know where Daryl is, and we miss him dearly already, don't we? And yet, and yet, absent the body, present the Lord. Progressive revelation. That's not what they believed back in the day. Until the progressive revelation of God came and said, No, absent the body, present the Lord. We don't know about the physicality of it. Maybe. We studied that. But we do know that absent the body and absent Christ, absent Christ, there is a realm of the dead that are not written in the book of life. And ultimately, that's what this rich man now understands. He got the full revelation. He was there, and he saw, I'm not going to be with Abraham. I am in this place. He was being tormented at the moment. And although this story doesn't tell us exactly what that torment was, we have to glean from the story what it was. Jesus, we'll see next week, talks highly specifically about how horrific this torment is. Jesus himself puts specificity to it. We don't know where hell is geographically, but we know that it's a place, and it's a place of punishment, and it's a place of torment, and and the, the gravity of that is such that, Steve, you're absolutely right. Our hearts should be absolutely broken for those that are so selfish they're not even willing to give a cup of water or some, some crumbs to somebody because this is out of our wealth. So, you know, the, the admonition here is do something. We can all do something. I mean, do something. And so we have no second chances. And so it's not about knowing God's word. It's about what you do with what you know. Because this man knew. And he just chose to be comfortable like those that chose in the church that Paul had the right to, that they were eating all the food and they were blowing off their brothers and sisters in Christ, I might add. But they were just in a dip. They had a caste system. They were poor. Don't want to deal with them. They're not clean. They don't smell as good as we do. Ah, you know, we're just going to go ahead and we're going to do our own thing here. Alright? And I'm telling you, those people, according to what we saw last week, when Jesus said, Whoa, you are, he put it in legal terms, if you recall, you guys are headed for Hades if you're going to act that way. Because you're not a follower of mine, is what the implication was. Heavy duty stuff. This man is still waiting for the judgment. And this man, whose name we don't know, is in this physical place, still being tormented, still wanting something on his tongue, still seeking mercy from God, and having have somebody have some pity on him 
to get a second chance that will never come. And next week we'll see the final words that Jesus says about this place and how horrific it is because he had some really, really tough things to say. It's hard for us to even imagine that this loving God that we worship, that is our Savior, could say the things that he actually said because they're tough to take which is a clue as to why the church is bailing on the doctrine of hell. Because it's hard. Mm-hmm. If it's true, they may not bail. Mm-hmm. It's true. It is true. But the sad thing is by lightening up like that, it uh, allows people to continue down the wrong path because they don't think there's anything true. A lie is a lie. Whether you like it or not. And the truth is the truth, whether you believe it or not. That doesn't change it.